Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at the last part of chapter 15 of Mark and uh, the beginning of chapter 16. If you are using one of the Black Bibles that are provided, you'll find today's text on page 539. Page 539 of the Black Bibles provided, Mark 15. I'd like to read for us, beginning in Mark 15, verse 42, down through chapter 16 and verse 8. If you'll follow along as I read aloud. This is the word of the Lord. Now an evening had come, because it was preparation day, that is the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, uh, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. So he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before them into, before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Lord, in these moments that we have together to consider the events surrounding the resurrection, I pray that you would cause our hearts to rejoice anew. I pray that you would get, help us to get some small glimpse of the amazement, the overwhelming um, nature of the resurrection as was clearly lived out in the lives of, that, of the early church. I pray now, Lord, that you would use your word in our own hearts, even this morning and in the days to come. In Christ's precious name, amen. A story ran recently in central Florida in the uh, Orlando area about our sheriff here in Williamson County. We prayed for him this morning, as we often will pray for those who are in leadership over us. So the story goes that our sheriff here, Sheriff Chody, um, used to live in central Florida a number of years ago when he was a boy. Uh, his mother uh, had a habit of getting into harmful relationships, uh, or relationships with harmful men, I should put it that way, and um, was particularly um, mistreated by, by one man who, who the sheriff, when he was just a boy, was, was very afraid of. And he had a, a significant event in his life where he interacted with someone in law enforcement who intervened in one of those situations and really uh, worked to rectify things. And, and he 
lived the rest of his life uh, kind of in the light of that event. In fact, that event inspired him to want to, to be that one day, to want to, to go into law enforcement. And so just recently, um, through the help of the local sheriff's office there in Central Florida and with the aid of social media, uh, our sheriff was able to reconnect uh, with this deputy that many, many decades before had helped him and his family and was able to tell him how the kind of the course that his life had taken. And uh, the story, as it was reported, um, the, sher- the deputy who now is retired, of course, and lives in Kentucky, um, reiterated that he had no idea the impact that he had made, and uh, he was glad to find out all of these details and information. But think about that. One, one single event, one solitary, one solitary event of a person's life, and, and the way in which it can, it can shape the course of the rest of their lives. Think about your own life. As you reflect back, do you have some, some big event, some significant moment that, that really has affected you ever since then? Maybe it's for the good. Maybe it's for the bad. Maybe there was something that happened to you that inspired you and uplifted you and, and caused you to, to want to do great things. Maybe there was some unfortunate event that unfolded in your life. And you have worked the rest of your life to try to help others in, from facing that same situation, uh, to, to right the injustice that you felt at that time. So whether the event is good or bad or, or, or big or, or maybe even seemingly insignificant, there are a lot of times that there's that one moment that, that affects all of the rest of life. Well, when we think about the the moments of the last few chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and really this could be said of any of the Gospels, we're talking about a turning point. We're talking about something that changes the rest of the lives of Jesus' followers and really changes all of history. This morning we celebrate in this passage those that were so astounded, those that were so transformed by the events that we see here recorded that it changed the course of human history. You see, Jesus seemed to be the fulfillment of all the hopes, of all the dreams, of all the longings of his followers. But Jesus had been tragically and ruthlessly tortured and killed. Their hopes were dashed. The dream was dead. Jesus was gone forever, or so they thought. Now, we know how the story goes, right? So, so we sometimes don't feel the weight. We don't, we don't enter into the story and appreciate, it, appreciate how these events shocked those involved. But Mark, perhaps more than any of the other gospel writers, really drives home that point of the amazement of the resurrection, A few years ago, we actually preached through the Gospel of Mark, and some of you were here for that series and some of you were not. But I want to go back to these last last closing thoughts, these last events in the Gospel of Mark, and remind us, and we're going to kind kind of tap into the theme of the book of Mark as well as we think through this. Now, the centurion who had stood at the foot of the cross said, Surely this was the Son of God. but how is it proven? It is the resurrection that reveals the truth 
of that very statement. Now, just um, one, little, one little study note. You may have a footnote there in verses 9 and following. Everything that follows verse 9 is recorded somewhere in Scripture, is recorded uh, in various other places in Scripture. It's corroborated there. We're going to actually focus our attention on verses 8 and prior. Um, if you, so if you have a footnote there, don't let it trouble you in any way. The content of verses 9 and following is biblical. The Gospels are, are well attested to. You've, you've heard us mention this before. There's actually more historical textual evidence for the Gospel of Mark than for Shakespeare. Um, and so again, all of this, this content here in verses 9 and following is based on what is written uh, in Scripture. It's all biblical content, so don't let a scholarly discussion erode your confidence in the Bible in any way. We see here a revelation. This, this uh, shocking pronouncement of the resurrection. It's made here by an angel in verse 5. We read it together. And entering the tomb... They saw a young man clothed in, long white, in a long white robe sitting on the right side. Now, Mark explains this from the women's perspective. So they see this young man. He's in white clothes. They don't fully understand what is going on yet. Mark, Mark uh, writes it in that vein. Other gospel writers let us know that this is an angel. So continuing verse 5, they are alarmed. Verse 6, but he said to them, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. And then he makes this announcement, he is risen, he is not here. And then he shows them the evidence of the resurrection. They knew, if you noticed in the last part of chapter 15, they knew where he had been laid. They took note of it. They were not mistaken at the wrong tomb or something like that. They knew where he had been laid, and in fact, the angel says, here is the place that he, he had previously, previously been. Here is the empty tomb. The pyramids of Egypt are famous because the mummified bodies of ancient Egyptian kings lay there. Westminster Abbey in London is, is well-renowned because in it rests the body of nobles, Muhammad's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and for the bones which are contained in it. Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. Is, is revered. It is the, it is the honored resting place of, of many heroic Americans. These places are all famous because of the, one, or the ones that lay dead there. There is all the difference in the world, though, between these monuments and the tomb of Christ. They are famous. They draw visitors. People want to come there because of what they contain. But the garden tomb is famous because it is empty. This is the Christian's victory. Christ conquered death. The tomb is empty. And so the angel says in the last part of verse 6, See the place where they laid him. He points them to the empty tomb. And this was the proof of the resurrection. You say, now wait, wait, how is it that just an empty tomb can be evidence of the resurrection? How, how is that proof? Well, consider this. There was a Roman guard set at the tomb. The responsibilities of the Roman guard were great, and in fact, not only did their livelihood, but even off, often their own lives depended 
on safekeeping of their charge. So the guards had nothing to gain and they had much to lose up to and even including their lives by corroborating the story and by fleeing their posts. No Roman guard would have gone along with a fanciful tale of a resurrection. He would have had nothing to gain. He would have had much to lose. Now, had the body been moved by the Romans, as some would say, that could have easily been disproven. I mean, there was this, this tremendous uproar in the Roman kingdom that would have easily been put to rest had the Romans taken the body of Jesus because all they would have had to do was to produce the body. Had it been Christ's followers who moved the body, would they really have gone to their death? Would they have suffered? Would they have had their property taken, many of them, many of them killed as martyrs to propagate a farce? So you see, the fact that the angel pointed out to them that the tomb was empty is proof that Jesus was risen. And so they're met with wonder. They're amazed. This is the reaction that comes with the resurrection. We see this excitement. Notice with me verse 5 says they were, they were amazed or alarmed, you might have in your translation. And then in verse 6, the angel says to them, do not be amazed, do not be alarmed. Verse 8, they fled from the tomb for, for trembling. This is, the, this is the Greek word from which we get our English word trauma. Traumas is the word. For trembling and, and astonishment. This is another Greek word that we borrow for English, ecstasis. It's, it's the word from which we get our word ecstatic. So they're, they are, they're shocked by this and they're ecstatic, they're excited, they're, they're astonished, they're overwhelmed. And they say nothing to anyone for they were, here's our last word, afraid. Do you see the swirl of emotions that are taking place? The amazement, the excitement, even the, the fear. Now, this word is not saying that they were in fear like as if they, they were in danger, but there's this amazement, there's this overwhelming experience that was unlike anything they had ever had before. So we could say it this way, this way terrifying bewilderment had gripped their minds. Or we might say it this way in our vernacular, in our common language. They were blown away by what had happened. Now, we forget that. We, we know the story so well. We know the outcome. We, we know the, the fact that Jesus rose again, and, and we sometimes forget this. And Mark is saying, do you understand how overwhelming, how amazing what is taking place here? is. Can you imagine the way that it struck these followers of Jesus who just a few hours before had, had sunk to the very depths of despair because all of their dreams and hopes and wishes for this one called Jesus had been dashed. And now 
They are amazed. They are excited by what is taking place. Now, this actual, these phrases here, these key words, actually make a lot of sense. And if you remember much about our study from the Gospel of Mark, you might be reminded that this is perfectly consistent with the, the tenor, the, the key words that Mark uses throughout the book. Let me just kind of give you a very quick survey. In chapter 1, it says, They were astonished at his teaching. They, he taught as one having authority. In, in verse 27, after casting out a demon, they were all amazed. Chapter 2, uh, verse 12, he heals a, Christ heals a lame man, and it says, they were all amazed and glorified God. Chapter 4, he calms a storm, and it says, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that the wind and the sea obey him? In chapter 5, Jesus came uh, to one who had been demon-possessed, and, and, and he had healed him, and they now saw him sitting and clothed in his right mind, and it says they were afraid. Later in the chapter, a woman who had been healed came to him fearing and trembling. Um, again in chapter 5, verse 42, after Christ heals a little girl, it says they were overcome with amazement. Jesus walks on the water in chapter 6, in verse 51, it says, they were greatly amazed. In chapter 9, Peter's on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it says, they were greatly afraid. In verse 15 of the same, uh, the same chapter, it says, all the people were amazed. The disciples, in verse 32, were afraid to ask of him. Chapter 10, the twelve were amazed. Chapter, or later in the chapter, again, uh, or, or chapter 11, the scribes and the chief priests feared him because the people were astonished at his teaching. They marveled and were amazed at him. In chapter 15, Pilate was amazed. He marveled. I mean, uh, uh, Mark beats this drum over and over and over and over again. This was amazing, and the thing that is the most amazing of it all, when John begins to pile these words on one another, is this final scene in the Gospel of Mark. It's almost as if we could name the entire book, The Amazing Jesus. Mark says this is amazing. And it is amazement on top of amazement on top of amazement, and it reaches its pinnacle. The, the cymbals crash, the orchestra crescendos, and it reaches its pinnacle of amazement when Jesus comes back to life. So it's no wonder, if you understand what Mark is doing here, that we see the most extraordinary event in all of the account of Jesus in chapter 16, verse 5, they were greatly amazed. You may have it translated, they were alarmed. So Mark once again rings this final bell. In verse 8, they fled. They couldn't say anything because there was nothing left to say. I mean, what do you say to this? This amazing Jesus. Now I wonder for us this morning, are we convinced like that? Are we amazed like that? When we consider the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, are we overwhelmed with amazement? I wonder this morning, are you convinced that He is indeed the Son of God? 
This is what Mark does, and, and in their own way, this is what all of the gospel writers do. They emphasize the person of who he is and how amazing he is. A few years ago, a movie came out that depicted Jesus Christ. It was very popular. It depicted Jesus Christ um, being crucified. And, of course, it, because of the graphic nature of it, it really made an impact on a lot of people who gave careful consideration to the suffering of Jesus Christ. And that's a, a good thing, an appropriate thing for us to consider, to weigh. Now, when you, watch, when you watch a movie like that or when you read an account like that, what often strikes us is how can they do that to him? I mean, the, the torture that he went through, the, the cruelty that was expressed in the crucifixion, and, and you look at that and you say, how can they do that to him? But when you read Mark and you read the other gospel writers, is not that impression. You ask the same question, but you ask it this way. How can they do that to him? The amazing thing is Jesus and who he is and what he did. And the striking thing about the crucifixion is they did that to him. But this is the same one that shocks us, that, that gives us this unexpected ending of resurrection. And once again, his followers are amazed. Are you convinced of that this morning? If you are, the only reasonable response to who Jesus is, is to bow the knee to him to acknowledge that He is the Lord and the Savior of mankind. If you look at the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, and for you it is a mere curiosity, perhaps you even claim to be a Christian, and, and the resurrection of Jesus is, is, is insignificant or, or, or unimportant, or whether it's literal or not doesn't really matter all that much, what you have, my friend, is a hobby, not Christianity. So this morning, what about you? Have you turned from your sin and self-dependence to depend on Jesus Christ, the Savior who is risen? Have you submitted to Him as the Lord who has conquered death and is worthy of your service even this morning? So we've talked about the crucifixion. There is certainly no, more, no event that is more central to Christian redemption, to the purchasing that comes through blood than the message of the cross. But it is the resurrection that proves, that gives validity to what happened on the cross. Simply put, if Christ had not resurrected, there would be no hope. There would be no Christian message. In 1840, Queen Victoria um, presented chocolates to the men from the country of Natal that had served as volunteers in the English conflict with the Boers. There was a shortage of supply at, at some point in here, and some of these soldiers who were supposed to re receive this, this uh, box of chocolate as a, as a thanks 
gift to them did not get theirs. And so, so after the conflict was over, um, it was requested of the crown, it was requested of the English officials that these, these men who had volunteered now be provided with this, this box, this commemorative box of chocolate. They were told, though, that it would not be possible to supply any further boxes of chocolate because the autograph of Queen Victoria on the box was needed. The queen was now deceased, and there's no way that you can receive a gift from the queen if the queen is no longer living. My friend, there's no way that we can receive the gift of salvation if the king, the one who has conquered death, is no longer living. If Christ had not resurrected, there would be no hope for us. And by the way, this is not some sort of a a metaphorical resurrection. You could go to plenty of churches this morning that will tell you, you know, Christ has risen in our hearts, or He was still alive in the hearts of His followers. My friend, there's nothing amazing about that. There's nothing astounding that changes the course of history about a metaphorical resurrection. Christ was risen indeed. Are you truly convinced of that? Or are you just accepting, embracing a token of Christianity? Are you one who professes with your mouth, but you're not convinced in your heart? Salvation is not merely a matter of saying, you know, I've got nothing to lose by getting on board with this. It is a matter of being so convinced that you're willing to stake your eternity on the claims of Christ being risen again. This was the response of the followers of Jesus. They were amazed, they were excited, and then they proclaimed it. Now, verse 8, you may have noticed going through here, it says, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, that may seem a bit contradictory to the point that we're making, but notice that verse 7 says, go and tell his disciples. So what happened here is they're initially so stunned that they run by everybody else. If there was anybody else up at that time of the morning, they just ran right by him. They didn't tell anybody else. They made a beeline for the disciples. And then things began to sink in, that they, they now had a risen Christ. And then once they saw him, their, their bud of, of stunned silence blossomed into a confident proclamation. And isn't that really what we're studying in the book of Acts as we make our way through the book of Acts? I mean, all of that is is reverberation. It it, it is continuation. It is the the ripple effect that goes out by by the amazing events that happen in the closing chapters of the Gospels. So overwhelmed, so, so sure were they of Christ's resurrection that they now proclaimed. In fact, if you want to look back at the beginning... Uh, the very first chapter in the Gospel of Mark, you will see that Mark opens the book this way. The beginning of the Gospel, the good news of Jesus. This was just the beginning. The spread of the message from the book of Acts on forward is the message of the resurrection. So what the early church knew was this. What Mark recorded, the other Gospels recorded is, this was just 
the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus was the foundation of the good news that would change lives throughout all of human history. Now, one author has said it this way, God does not disclose the resurrection fact except to enlist people in a task. And that's exactly what begins here. In the closing chapters of the gospel, these people are inspired. They are overwhelmed. They're excited by a message because Christ is risen. And in fact, this is what Paul affirms in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. But he is risen. So what then does it mean for us to live in the light of the gospel each day? What does it mean for us to be amazed as these followers were? It means to worship Jesus, to worship Him in awe and in wonder, not, just, not with just our lips on Sunday, but with our lives. It means to bow to Him in faith and repentance. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today can be the day that you, that you bow to Him in faith and repentance and that He saves you for all eternity. My friend, if you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, you are a believer this morning. It means for you and I to declare that message to others. May we, along with these believers, be amazed, overwhelmed, be, be looking at this passage, and, and not just this passage, but the others that we've read this morning, and be thinking about the truth of who Jesus is, and may it then affect our lives. May we then live in the light of the resurrection to worship Him, not just as we gather together, but to live a life of worship for this amazing Jesus. Lord, we thank You for your, the words that You've recorded. We thank You for the way in which You have revealed to us Your Savior, Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Lord, for the message of salvation that comes because of it. In just a moment, I'll